Hello, everyone. My name's Chris Freeman. I'm the chairman of the Barons Advisor Programs here in Australia. And today I want to share with you one of our podcasts from one of our great partners in the US, Kevin Meyeroff. Um, you may remember Kevin from our Melbourne Summit in October. He presented down there and um, was very, very popular among the attendees with his insights into financial planning, how he's run his business, and just, you know, being in the business for decades, what he's learned. So today I'd like, like you to welcome Kevin Myroff from Sequoia Financial Group, all the way from Ohio, USA. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Chris. I really appreciate your time. Kevin has been a institution over there. He's been in the top 100 list for Barons for decades. He presents at summits in the US for Barons. I've had the pleasure of attending one of his discussion groups over there, and that's one of the reasons why we got him to come out here in October last year to share his insights, learnings with um, Australian advisors. I had a look at your um, website, Kevin, and I liked a couple of the, the quotes there. The first one, pretty simple, but I thought captures a lot of what planners try to do. And you've got, and I quote, planning that endures. Can you sort of expand on that a bit? Yeah. I mean, so many people in our industry, especially if you're just investment-minded and not planning-minded at all, they're just in the moment. They're just trying to solve a quick problem in the moment without doing something that's enduring not only for our clients, but for their children as their mm. family grows. Mm. You know, I know that sort of good segue into another quote I read was that family education, while lining on values, is critical to sustaining generational wealth. I thought that was quite insightful as well. Yeah. And, in you know, even back in the beginning, Chris, when I was um, – as opposed to the programs you have in Australia here, we have IRAs that were here where people could invest to save for their retirement. And they were $2,000 a year you could do when you started. My goal was to get as many of those $2,000 IRAs as I could. Have. I mean, that's literally where I started in this business. And but But even back then, the more clients understood and were educated about what they're doing, why stocks are going up or down, why their bonds are going up and down, the better long-term clients they will be. And their families, I don't know what it is in Australia, but the United States, and the, the numbers are nuts, but it's like 87% of children that inherit their parents' assets don't stay with the advisors their parents had. Mm -hmm. And so we've spent a lot of time and effort in trying to get to know those kids, and they love the education part of it. And, and learning about, you know, what their parents have been doing and what they should be doing. Yeah. I, I've sort of heard that a fair bit from my travels to the States, that the retention rate, once there's a, um, an event where the money transfers, is really, really poor. And there's a variety of reasons about uh, for that. But in your business, do you have, um, you know, you, you probably – um, been in the business for a long time, had a good relationship with the mum and dad. Uh, you connect with them. You've got similar interests, similar life stages, whereas the kids might be, you know, I don't know, 40 or 30 or somewhat younger. Do you match them up with, you know, the respective similar generations in your business? 100% yes. 
You know, I believe in having multi-generational firms. So you have to have enough 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds. Um, I started an industry which was public accounting. I was with a big firm that today's called Ernst & Young. It was Arthur Young when I was there. And I always was shocked that the retirement age was like 55 years old. And I asked the partners, you know, why do you do that? He says, can't grow without youth. You need young yeah. people, young thoughts, and you got to make way for them. And that's why we have to leave. So I found that really interesting and took it to heart. Okay. And the same is said for women because, you know, um, most men die before their wives. It's a, it's a fact. One of my good friends says they do that because they want to, which I think is a bit unfair to the women. But uh, it's a fact they do die before their wives and the wife inherits the money. And the retention there is pretty low as well because the males had the dominant part of the relationship and hasn't included the female in the decision-making, et cetera. And what I'm seeing now is there's more and more women entering financial advice. And do you sort of, this we're talking diversity here, but, I mean, do you sort of embrace that in your business? Oh, in a very big way. Um, before I sold my firm two years ago to join Sequoia, before we merged with them, um, 80% of my leadership team was women. And so that'd be I, unusual, I, though, wouldn't it? That'd be unusual. It was it was very unusual, even here in the States. But mm -hmm. I noticed, you know, I, I had some qualities that were not as good as I wanted them to be. You know, I might know that one of my clients' pets um wasn't feeling well and they had to take them to the veterinarian. But <laughs> one of my female planners knows which paw they stepped on a nail with. And, they'll, and they connect on a much closer, more intimate basis than I did. So it did. It was. I learned a lot from them. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And um, tell us. You, you told us about your accounting background, and you got into selling our RIAs to start with. Just tell us you know, uh, quickly about your history in financial advice, and um, you know you've sold to Sequoia. And you're still working on a consultancy basis. Um, just tell us, you know, what how how you arrived at where you are today. Yeah, I'll give you the really quick version, and you tell me if you want me to go deeper any place that you think may be helpful okay. to okay. listen. Um, I was in public accounting. I had decided I wanted to leave after three years. Uh, my father, who ran a real estate business, heard through the grapevine that I was looking for a job. And he called me and said, hey, why don't you come work for me? And I said, well, I don't even know what you really do. And so he said, come join me. So I went over there. Um, he handed me a phone book. And it was back in the days of these tax deals, where if you put $100,000 in a tax deal, you could write off 300,000, 50% tax bracket. So 150,000 deduction for making 100,000 investment. It was like a no brainer. So he told me to start calling doctors. And I did at like nine o'clock in the morning and by like 1130 or 12, I quit. I did just, <laughs> the cold calling just wasn't for me. And my father looked at me and said, you know, Kevin, I really want to try to do something together. What, what do you want to do? What, 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 what excites you? Um, you know, you lead, I'll push. And uh, financial planning really wasn't a word then, but I was doing a lot of teaching back when I was in public accounting 
to CEOs of a lot of firms. And I love that teaching. And so we came to let's teach people about money and retirement and places to go. And my dad lined up behind me, funded it. And uh, we worked together till he retired in 2000, some 22 years ago. When my dad retired, we had, and I bought the practice from him at that time. We had about $300 million of assets under management. And when I sold, we had about $2 billion. Wow. Well, that's and, amazing. And, right. And I'm currently on, I got two more years left in my employment agreement with them. And I really care deeply about the people I brought there. So it's uh, it's a joy to still be involved and see my clients. And Sequoia is a really great group. Okay, that's good. How, how did you get that growth? You know, 300 to 2 billion, did you say? Yes. How did you get that growth? It's, What's very good, it's a very good question. We were teaching financial planning at a lot of the local colleges um, and, and not, not as a academic course, but as an adult education program. So people could go to the colleges at night, just sign up for these programs. They were a couple hundred dollars. And it came off, you know, just in a really professional manner that got people very comfortable with us over three nights. It wasn't a one time, one hour. Every every day was three hours, three times. And so those programs were for a long time of building trust. During that period, um, the NBC affiliate in Cleveland uh, reached out to me and said, hey, would you mind being our financial advisor and start speaking on air? And so I did that for 22 years, as long as I was on, also on the number one radio station doing the same thing. So the first 30 minutes of most meetings where advisors are trying to build that trust, people came in and felt like they knew me already. So I was on a head start. But that got me to the only way you could get ahead of your peers is by differentiating yourself. And that's so hard to do in our business. Our business is one of the hardest to market. You, Chris, head up one of the things where people could differentiate, right? I mean, if you could be a Barron's ranked advisor, not everybody can say that. And so, and then you have to think of other ways you could differentiate yourself. And I'm happy to share some of those with you. Yeah, that's great. Well, why don't you do that? How, how do you differentiate? Well, so? uh, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. One of the concierge services we offered was helping our clients buy cars. I don't know what the car buying thing's like in Australia, but in the United States, for most people, it's a nightmare. You know, you go in there, they try to sell you, they try to upsell you. You know, they, they you don't know if you should buy a lease or pay a, uh, get a loan. And so what we did for our clients is we had agreements with a lot of the car dealerships. They would go in, they wouldn't get talked to at all about money. They'd figure out what they wanted. The car dealerships come back to us. We negotiate the price. We had a great understanding of how much over invoice things should cost based on how the world was going. And then the client would go in, sign the papers and pick it up. And clients were happier about that than if they earn 15% on their multi-million dollar accounts because they just hated that process. So just that's another way of differentiating ourselves. 80% women leaders was another way of differentiating ourselves. Our ability to do family meetings and want to include the children, another way of differentiating ourselves. So as many ways as you could come up to make you different from your, and being a Barron's ranked advisor, I was in the inaugural group of the Barron's All-Stars. 
you know, there's only like 20 of us that was in that, you know, that nobody could ever say that except for 20, you know, 19 other people. And so you got to create those opportunities for yourself. Yeah. Sounds like you've been very innovative in, in your thinking and service orientated to your clients. Um, you, you, you touched on before about the early days of running those financial planning courses and having some media exposure. What did you do other than that around business development? Did you actually think about business development and try and get out there? And how, how did you acquire new clients? Yeah. And so and, and I'll start it with a small little story. I started in this business 100% commission. I was a holistic financial planner, but I was 100% commission based. And then I started realizing that if a client sent me a referral, that was more valuable to me than the client itself, because we weren't moving their money around. We put it in something and we just left it there so they didn't have to pay commissions again. And so in literally less than four months, we transferred 100% of our clients. It was almost a billion dollars at that time. And I, could, and I calculated into fee only. And then I calculated that we'd probably have a 20% decline in revenue, but we'd make it up over time. And we wound up with a 20% gain in revenue because people were like, well, geez, if it doesn't, I don't have to pay a commission. I got another 500,000 over here, another $300,000 over there. And so then we started using our clients as centers of influence to say, hey, you know, we, we have such a, a, a close relationship with them. They really want to help us. And, you know, when we constantly remind them, we're still growing. We're, we're still happy to take new business. And we have a system in place for, with an advisor. Once they reached, and our business was 100 clients, then we had to hire more advisors. And, and the other thing that differentiated ourselves is we did it ahead of time. We didn't wait till we had a problem and hired them. We looked way out into the future and started making those hires three or four or five years earlier so they'd be ready in five years when it was time to call their number. Mm. That's great. So you were ahead of the curve in terms of resourcing, et cetera. Just getting back to the fees, you know, I think Australia, we've moved from commissions to fees a while back. But do you charge uh, a percentage of assets or do you charge a flat dollar fee? Yeah, Sequoia, I, in my firm before we sold it, we charged only a percentage of assets. Sequoia does both. They have flat okay. dollar arrangements. They have they have fee-based arrangements. So all those exist. Okay, that's good. Um, what's been the biggest learning over your career, Kevin? Um, you can never learn enough. I, I will tell you, you know, we, you know, financial advisors are not short on egos, including the guy <laughs> you're talking to here right now. And, and, and I always thought that I had all the answers. And literally, when I start going to some of the industry meetings, and especially the Barron's meetings, because, you know, in the United States, that's like the cream of the crop, right? When I started going to those meetings, I realized I, I didn't know everything. And when you go to one of these meetings with some of the best advisors in the world, your goal isn't to be entertained for an hour. Your goal is in every meeting or every uh, session you go to, to find one thing that might be able to help you. One thing you could go back and start right away. 
And if you go there with that attitude, as opposed to saying, you know, first half was boring, all I need is that one idea. And that's been amazingly helpful, listening to my peers, letting them make the mistakes and get to the correct answer so I don't have to go through that same process. Okay, that's good advice. Um, Speaking of advice, what's the best bit of advice you've received in your career? You know, my my father always used to tell me, um, never stop asking for the business and never stop trying to learn more. And I've really spent a lot of time doing both of those. And, you know, the worst somebody could say to you is no. Um, and, uh, and and I will tell you, because I spent a lot of time with the Australian advisors, you got a really fun, good group of people there. I, I, I loved being in Australia. You know, I, and granted, I was in Melbourne and then Sydney. And then you sent me up to this little vacation place that was pretty amazing recommendation. Um, the Great Barrier Reef, I never experienced. So, you know, that's all part of learning. It's part of being out there. I learned, I came there to speak to to, to the Australian advisors, but I learned as much from them as they learned from me. It was just yeah. really outstanding. Yeah. That, that's the networking opportunities that I think Barron's delivers with the top advisor summits, et cetera. And I've been lucky enough to have been to a couple, you know, a few in the States and everyone that we've had here, the networking among your peers appears to be very, very powerful. Yeah, we have a, I don't don't think you guys have a Teams meeting yet in Australia. We have one here in the United States, but I bring 15, 18 people to those meetings right from my office. Wow. Wow. Okay. Because they all all need to grow too, right? You know, they've got to be able to grow. And when you hire good people, if you could stay out of their way and just mentor them and guide them. Um, and the other thing advisors have to learn, I see this mistake happen all the time because they're control freaks, is that if somebody could do something 80% as good as you can, that's good enough. It's probably better than you can, but you just think it's 80%. <laughs> Very good. All right, Kevin. Well, that's been really, really hopefully helpful to uh, our audience. Uh, it's good to talk to you again. I'm glad you enjoyed the Barrier Reef, and um, you still look a little bit sunburned, actually, from that. I hope you haven't done any <laughs> skin damage. You know that Australia is a melanoma capital of the world, so uh, um, you're over there in the Ohio winter, so I'm, I assume that um, you lose the tan pretty quickly. It's been yeah, it's great called, talking to you. It's called windburn, Chris, windburn. Windburn, right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, well, it's been great talking to you again, Kev. Thanks for your time. We really appreciate it, and you're a great friend of Barron's. All the best. Thank you so much. Take care, Chris. Bye.